Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. Hello, Ivy Church. Hello, Ivy Church. Welcome to Ivy Church. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. Everyone you know, everybody watching this, everybody who's sitting next to you, everybody's looking for somewhere to belong. Whether you're an extrovert or an introvert, nobody wants to be really alone all the time. At the same time, we know that our world and our culture is increasingly fragmented. It's hyper-individualized. It's an isolated place. And we're confused when all kinds of technology that was supposed to bring us together seems to drive us further apart than ever. Because... Even when we're with people, we get so distracted that we're all together, all alone. And how can we find a, a new sense of healthy belonging and community together in our lives? One thing we know for sure that we want our church to be, and I'm feeling this more and more than ever these days, is a community. After all that's been broken in recent years, a community of communities of people who are learning what it means to belong together and to belong to Jesus together. I don't know about you, but we want to live well. And the only way you can do that is as a healthy community. And while we can gain insights into that from sociologists and psychologists and anthropologists, we believe that the Bible shows us how God can help us to build and belong in the kind of community where we find we were not only made for him, but for one another. And that true success in life is never found alone. I mentioned those other people because of the work of a man called Edward Hall who described community and belonging in terms of various spaces in our lives. Uh, he, He talked about there being a public space that we need to connect into, uh, that there's a social and a personal and finally, oh personal, there you go, terrible writing, and intimate spaces. We need to connect in all these different spaces. If we're going to be whole people and we need to connect with God helping us in all of those four areas and if we don't or even if one of them is missing or or a couple of those are missing out of our lives no matter how great the other ones may be we're going to end up feeling lost. So how can we have community with each other in all those necessary places? The Bible and its teaching and Jesus specifically refined words which our society seeks to only mess up more and more each time they redefine them. Words and concepts and categories like neighbour, friend, family, brothers and sisters. These are all the terms that the church is actually spoken of to reach out to and to belong in rather than just a word like congregation. In fact, the only time the word congregation is used in the Bible, it's in, well, in the King James Version, when God is talking about the millions of people wandering lost through the wilderness with Moses. He calls them the congregation in the desert. So I don't think we really want to be a congregation, do we? And the idea of church that God describes certainly was never about a stage and an audience. It was everybody together in all kinds of proximity of different gatherings because we belong to God and we belong to one another and we need to do that in all these ways but for many people the word family is now a confused word anyway those would say home is where the hurt is perhaps different decisions have been made that have forced people apart rather than together but now 
even if the relationships are healthy in your family often we might wish to be relationally close but geographically we can find ourselves more and more distant from people lives change friends move on and certainly the last few years have pushed us more than ever into isolation more than any of us i suspect would have ever wanted the fact is Community isn't the given in this world. It has to be created, maintained, protected. It isn't easy to build. We've got to work on it and be willing to be changed ourselves, to be open and to be vulnerable and to be hurt necessarily in all these areas. See, time doesn't necessarily create community. Just because we might spend some time or share a space with some people or another person doesn't mean necessarily we're going to go closer to them. Or just because we say or decide we're going to be committed somewhere doesn't necessarily mean we're going to feel a sense of belonging there. Just because we do tasks alongside other people, share a common goal with others or serve on a team or, or some kind of committee doesn't necessarily mean we're going to end up with community. Of course that can happen, those can be good things and it's better than sitting at home waiting for people to come to you. But I think if anything this Covid related crises highlighted in churches is that we had many people who were coming along but didn't belong. Just coming along doesn't mean you belong. And now as we're starting to see more and more people each week are re-engaging with church or engaging with the first time and it's because you're making a decision and you're making commitments and maybe you're serving alongside others. And I hope it's, it's not just to come along anymore but because you want to be long here at Ivy. And I know there's some people still on a journey where maybe you'd say as yet you don't actually quite believe but while you're figuring that out I need to let you know you don't have to wait to believe. You're welcome right now to belong. Because, by the way, none of us have got it all figured out. Anyway, I mentioned Edward T. Hall in the 1960s. He developed this idea that was called proxemics, that in our lives, spaces develop, our, our personalities develop in our, in, in, through communication, in the cultures, in these different spaces. So the public space is where we are 12 feet, three and a half metres or more away from one another. There are big gaps between us and in those gaps we feel able to move around where we like. And we, we don't necessarily have to connect with everybody, we can choose to get closer. Social space is where we are 12 to 4 feet away or just over a metre away, we can have a conversation. Personal space, the gap is closing four feet to eight inches. You can see my face, you can see my upper body and gestures. And intimate space is from half a metre to zero. You can see me right up very close in your face. These four spaces communicate how we belong to each other and we all need to experience some kind of interactions in all four of these dimensions to be whole people experiencing meaningful relationships. And for me that takes time and it takes actually even incredible significance. When we think about how social distancing, as it was so terribly named, will have affected us all because we weren't able to be close like we, we want to be, like we're made to be, especially through the, all the ups and downs and the terrible things we went through in life. Surely that must have contributed to us being among the most lonely people in the world. How do we find our place in it when we feel so alone? You probably know in the book of Genesis when God made Adam, he said it was not good for him to be alone. He, you might have thought the first human problem was the problem of sin, but no, God actually identified the first human problem was being alone. Even though Adam had the perfect environment, perfect job, perfect boss, that same boss, God, said, it's not good for him to be alone. I'm going to make somebody else that he can 
belong with. Our God lives forever, forever in, in eternal community as Father, Son and Holy Spirit and his image was not complete in Adam until he makes Eve to be his Azer. The Hebrew word there is often translated as helper. That's inaccurate or at least very inadequate because far more than that it actually means saviour. It means rescuer. The word is used time and time again of when God himself comes to save his people. So let's not think the woman was just made or came along to be man's little helper. She actually came to save him. And I know as a man we men need a lot of saving and many of us know the person that we most need saving from is ourselves. So when the Son of God came to earth, Jesus Christ said, I've come to seek and save the lost. Those who are lost and alone in the world. That was how he understood his mission and his purpose. It's what he was all about. It's what therefore the church should be all about, a rescue mission. But when he came to the world he created, he found people had separated themselves. The religion of Judaism had started out as the way that God wanted to bring his chosen people together and to draw very close to his people but a sect had developed and were now running the show who called themselves the separated ones. That's what Pharisee means, separated ones. They and the scribes called themselves the Habarim, the instructed or religious and they called other people the Haharets which are the people of the land. See, they considered themselves the righteous, high and mighty and the most ordinary people were just wicked. They were tainted. They didn't want to get close to them. The temple courts was even segmented off. So most non-Jews were on the outside together with some kind of Israelites. Then the bigger crowds got smaller and smaller and smaller. There was the court of the Gentiles, the court of the women. Then there was places just for the priests and then there was one place for the high priest only. Now meals, which of course have always been ways that communities tend to come together, became instead a point of separation that had to be enforced rigorously. While ordinary people ate everyday meals in the ordinary way, the religious people of Jesus' time lived by strict purity rules and food restrictions, setting them apart from those ignorant, wicked people that they saw themselves forced to have to live among in order to keep themselves pure, pure for God. They, they wanted to be strict about what they ate and who with? They said no righteous person should eat in the company of, of these ignorant people. You shouldn't go into their houses and definitely never have them come into yours. But when Jesus came, God in the flesh, he turned that over in so many ways. They would consider it completely shameful for any good holy person and particularly for somebody who claimed to be a rabbi to go and hang around with who he hung around with. So this new series in the New Testament, we're going to be using Luke chapter 15 to form the main focus where we're going to see that it says the Pharisees were alarmed that Jesus not only ate with Haaretz, the sinners, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, who they believed so defiled that you should cross the road to avoid. Instead, look at this with me, Luke chapter 15. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go out after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it home, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. 
But isn't it interesting that Jesus didn't care what they thought of him? He didn't get embarrassed. He didn't say to those Pharisees and teachers of the law in trying to maintain his own good reputation. Oh, I know what this looks like, but really it's not that bad. I, I only befriend people who've sorted themselves out and are cleaning themselves up. I just sort of bumped into these guys when I was walking down the road. No, he didn't, he didn't pretend that, they weren't, that he wasn't a friend of sinners. See, that, he could have done that. That would have been able to pre prevent any misunderstandings by association. Because actually, yes, Jesus really is holy. He's God. I think too often that's what the church has done though. It's something we've tried to be careful about who we exclude and who we include because we may do this, all of us. You know, here at Ivy there's a sign outside that says to everybody they are so welcome. I think we have to prayerfully consider and talk together about who or what that actually involves and who's included because they might just take us up on it. That doesn't mean that Jesus wanted sinners to stay sinners. He loved them. He loved them enough to change them. Being with him is what changed them. And so rather than give a defence of himself, Jesus instead tells a series of stories back to back. He never does this in any other place. Three stories. He really wants them to know who matters to God. We're going to be looking at these amazing stories. So I just want to open it up today by looking at the first today, the parable of the lost sheep. And Jesus starts out by talking to the Pharisees as if they were shepherds. He puts them as the you in the shepherds. He says, Imagine you had a hundred sheep and you lost one. Now that's interesting because being a shepherd was one of the tasks that the Pharisees said, if you were going to be a holy and righteous person like them, you would not be able to do that as a trade. Shepherd would be outside the list of jobs for the holy haverim. To do so would mean you were ritually unclean. You couldn't come into the temple. You couldn't fully interpret the law as they interpreted. But as we know, in one of the most famous portions of scripture, who do we find that God is? Psalm 23. The Lord himself is called, the Lord is my shepherd. God's a shepherd. He's a good shepherd. Because of him, I shall not want. But in Ezekiel chapter 34 and Jeremiah 23, God says that though the leaders of his people were meant to be shepherds, they'd become bad shepherds who only looked after themselves. That was certainly the case now in Jesus' time when they'd split themselves off as the privileged class and in a system with echoes of apartheid, ruled out others of his children while keeping themselves in that place of privilege. There are two ways that you can keep sheep if you're a shepherd. And this goes to the idea put forward by Dr. Paul Hybert of bounded and centred sets. This also describes two ways, by the way, of being and doing church, doing life, really, how we relate to God and other people. In a bounded set, you put up fences to surround the sheep. That helps you decide who is in and who is not, who's inside and who's outside. And you can see who's in and who's out because of the boundaries and the fences that you've put up. Who's welcome, who's accepted? They are clearly us and them. And the Pharisees had this down to the fine art. Their fences were over 50 feet high, made with dietary laws and dress codes. Matters of hygiene decided if you were separated and set apart from God. And you must keep these to the letter. And we, we can do this in our churches. Now our fences might be theological or doctrinal or personal, as we decide the limits of our love and hospitality to others. Or you have this other thing called a centred set. See, in Australia, they don't put up fences for the sheep because the land is too large for that to happen. So instead what they do is they dig wells for the sheep to be able to come to. 
all over the place. And Jesus is the centre. Jesus is the wellspring of life for us, isn't he? He's the one that we want people to, to come to. And the invitation is to come all who are thirsty, not all who are trying hard enough, not all who are good, because we're all sinners, we're all struggling. So what matters is not whether you're in or you're out, but which direction am I facing? Am I walking and facing in that direction towards Jesus? You know, even if I'm close to him, if I'm in the direction walking away from Jesus, I'm on dangerous ground. So it's interesting that Jesus says the shepherd here in the story loses one of the sheep. And remember, he's saying you are shepherds to the Pharisees and the teachers. You lost the sheep. A writer by the name of Kenneth Bailey lived among most of his life among the tribes and languages of the Middle East. His insights are going to bring a lot of additional light on our study of these parables. And it starts right here. Because he says in those cultures, the way that Semitic languages work, people don't blame themselves. Nobody says, I lost my sheep. Instead, the way the language works is they're going to say, my sheep went away from me. Somebody in Israel now wouldn't say, I missed the train. You'd say, the train left me. And this is the case in various other cultures and languages too. Maybe you'll recognise it too if you speak different languages. But the interesting thing is Jesus doesn't blame the sheep for getting lost. He blames the shepherds. The shepherd who lost the sheep, bad shepherd. He's saying to those who are accusing him, you were meant to be looking after God's sheep, but look, you lost them. And now you're not doing anything about bringing them back. And you're here complaining about me when I come as the good shepherd and do what you should have done. A good shepherd would not have become so distant and separated from the sheep. A good shepherd would not be he'd, be, he'd be close enough to the sheep to lead them beside still waters and care for them and tend for them and look out for them, be alert to any kind of danger or harm. So the only way to be a good shepherd now, he says, you're going to have to go and conduct an all-out search until that lost sheep can be found. And so it goes from lost and alone to found and at home, together with the rest of the sheep. Sometimes people complain, he leaves the 99, but the point that struck me just for the first time recently so strongly is this, he has a hundred. The hundred is not complete without the one that is missing. He doesn't just say, oh, it's all right, I've got 99. This shows the heart of the good shepherd. It shows us the heart of Jesus for the one. The good shepherd is the one who Psalm 23 says restores souls. God wants to restore lost souls. He brings us back when we wander. He goes into the valley of the shadow of death to get us, to turn us around, to lead us back, to carry us back home along the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. A good shepherd would be like David who wrote Psalm 23, ready to fight a bear or a lion in order to rescue, to protect, to help, to save the flock. He's not a hireling who runs at the first sign of danger or difficulty. The good shepherd knew he was responsible for the lost sheep. He'd be willing to lay down his own life for the sheep. The sheep is meant to be with the shepherd and the flock. But this night he can't sleep when he's counting the sheep because that one is lost out there somewhere alone and stuck and scared and shaking and bleating and unprotected. It has to be rescued and it has to be returned and restored to the fold of the rest of them. And so he looks everywhere, calling out until finally it's found. And then he rejoices when he finds it and cries out with joy. Because the, but yet the work isn't done yet. It's been found, but it still needs to come home. You know, a fully grown sheep weighs anything up to 70 pounds. It's hard work to rescue and bring a lost sheep home, but he picks up this big, heavy animal on his shoulders, carries it home to rescue it from destruction 
and danger. What a picture of proximity, being that close to the shepherd. This is how close God wants us to be to him. The Pharisees wanted to keep everybody away at a good, safe social distance. Jesus comes close enough to grab us and touch us and carry us. He puts us with the rest of the flock because that's the only way he's going to be close enough to save and we're near enough to stay saved. He doesn't just save us to himself, he brings us together to each other in community. He puts the lost one back in the fold. Then he calls his friends and neighbours together and says, rejoice with me. And there's a community that has to celebrate. And we're going to see that at the end of all three of these stories he tells here, there's always a party with others around because it's not good for us to be alone, apart from separated, detached, uncommitted. It's not good for us. Jesus' work is not done when he saves us from being lost. It's when he brings us home and we are found in community again. He didn't just want to bring you back to him. He wants to bring us all home together. He wants to bring us to each other. That's what church is for. That's what it's meant to be. So let's pray. Lord, I know I can't save myself. I get lost like that sheep. And maybe if others knew even half of what's really going on and the sins I've committed, they would separate from me. But you know it all and you're the friend of sinners. So you still love me. You showed that on the cross. I need your help today, Lord. You are the good shepherd. You've come from heaven to earth to find me. So save me, Lord Jesus, and bring me home. I don't want another day of being lost or alone. I come back to you, back into your family. And Lord, I say to you today, please bring me into your fold and, and keep me there. Lord, help me at the same time to go and to walk with you as you join this mission of reaching and bringing other people back to know you as well. Thank you, Jesus, that you are a good shepherd. I belong to you and I belong with my brothers and sisters in this community now and forever. Amen. Hi, I'm Anthony Delaney. I'd love to welcome you to Ivy Church. Do check out the website, click on a few buttons, look at some previous teaching and some of the other things that we've been involved with. And why not plan to join us soon at one of our locations? Join a grow group, do the alpha course and figure out for yourself what it is that Christians believe. Or if you've got anything we can pray about, be in touch, press the contact button so that you can email us, let us know about you and how we hope you can be part of us. Come and join us at Ivy Church.